the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Should churches change to stay relevant for a new kind of worshiper? And later it's Friday. You know what that means. A top five list, Christmas themed. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Friday evening. We are... Less than, what are we, a week and a half from Christmas? A week and a half, week and a half from Christmas. A little we more are, than that. A week we, from Sunday. Or a little less than that. A so little it's a week less from Sunday. than that. Yep. So like a week from tomorrow is Christmas Eve. That's Unbelievable. right. Unbelievable. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I'm alongside my co-host Brian Fromm, and Apparently, I'm panicked about the fact that we are a week from Christmas Eve. I got some it stuff just to do. You. We just talked about stress. I know. And but, I think uh, I'm still reeling from our conversation. That one gotcha. I am feeling stressed from our conversation. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right, Brian. I was reading something over at NPR that caught my attention because I didn't expect to see it at NPR. It was a conversation about churches changing to stay relevant. We're going to talk about a particular church that changed their whole kind of way in just a minute. But I want to read you something from this article over at NPR. Last year, Americans' membership in houses of worship fell below 50% for the first time since Gallup started its authoritative religion survey. So I want to stop there for just a second. 50%. Mm. I knew it had dipped low, but I don't think I realized it was that low. Yeah, I think I go both ways in this one because I could see, like, I think about fifty percent of the people that I know outside of church are they parts of? I'm not sure they are. Like, yeah. So maybe I'd love to know what how they determine if they're part of a church. Yeah, but yeah, it is certainly declining. Yeah, certainly. Because you see it in all of your neighborhoods with sports and everything else going on Sundays. A lot of the people I interact with outside of the church world don't give two thoughts to church. Yeah, yeah. They, one of sure. my kids, I won't, I won't sell them out too much. One of my kids had a practice on a Sunday morning. And the coaches couldn't like you could tell it was outside of their like thought process that we were like, well, no, she's going to leave early to go to church. And they were like, what? (laughs) Like it was. And now a generation ago, that would not be true. And you wouldn't have even scheduled something. I'm not joking. I was really surprised. It was like we had come up with this totally foreign concept. It was weird. It was interesting. Oh, that's so interesting. So apparently in 1937, the year the Gallup poll began again, this is a Gallup poll of authoritative religion survey. At that point, seven out of 10 Americans attended church. Wow. In 2020, before the pandemic, only 47% of Americans belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque. It's been trending downward since 2000. One of the reasons that they give for this is they say young people are rejecting organized religion and some churches are facing existential crises. So here's um, the lens of this story was through a church called it's not really a church. I don't know what I would call it. A spiritual community. Okay. Battlefield Farm. Okay. Battlefield Farm. A pastor of a mega church left the church. Okay. Booming evangelical church left the church and began a farm. It's a different kind of spiritual community where people can show up for Bible lessons or they can simply dig in the dirt. Here's a word from the pastor. He says, we're trying to create this community that people can learn to love each other. And ultimately love the world and transform it through collard greens and okra, he says with a hearty laugh. 
This impulse, this is NPR, the urgency to try something new is being felt throughout the Christian church. Once booming evangelical churches are worried about declining numbers, but liberal mainline Protestants like the Lutherans, Methodists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians are hemorrhaging numbers. So the question really is, do we change in order to stay relevant for a new wave of worshiper? Isn't this interesting? This is Pastor Chris Battle, by the way, who turned his attention to Battlefield Farm and Gardens in Knoxville, Tennessee. I think the answer to we change is it is yes and it is no. Like, Mm. I think it is both because there are things that we change. Like We Christians can get really stuck in in ruts in our ruts and like, well, this is how you do church. Well, maybe you do change some practices. Uh, in order to reach people. Yeah. But what you don't change is your doctrine, yeah. is, is your foundations, yeah. is what you stand upon. Those are the things. And so I think people always argue in these, yes, you change, no, you change. It's more about what do you change yeah. versus, you know, it's not 100% of the time. There are there are non-negotiables that I think, you know, at Renewal Church, you and your elders, you, Kevin, and your elders go, we will always be this. Right. We will always believe right. this. Uh, if we if we go from this, we cease being renewal church. Mm-hmm. But then there's other things where you meet, what a service looks like, whatever. It could be anything yeah. where you go. You know what? Let's try. Let's yeah. let's innovate. Let's let's yep. change some things that haven't touched on what makes you you. Right. And so often we get those kind of conflated where it's like, well, we always meet at nine a.m. on Sunday mornings. Right. So, okay. Well, maybe let's try eleven. It might. Right. Work. Let's add a whatever it right. might be. Right. Versus, you know what? People are, aren't really into the whole Jesus thing anymore. So maybe we let's pull that out. Let's mm. well now you've now you're no longer a church. Yeah. Now you've changed who you are. So that's what I would say. I think the answer is yes and no, depending right. on the time and the circumstance. Yeah, it's interesting because this pastor himself he still does a Bible study, and then they farm together. And so ultimately, what he's doing is saying these. Uh, like you were saying, the orthodoxy is the same. Like I'm going to I'm going to teach Jesus. He says instead of but instead of altar calls or communion, they uh, tend to their 50 raised beds of kale and eggplant. And so he <laughs> says, ultimately, people will come to the garden and they'll have a conversation with you. And so he uses this as really an evangelical uh, tool to create the spiritual community where people can learn to love each other and they can cultivate the earth and that kind of thing. And I I think you're exactly right, Brian. I, I obviously at Renewal Church we have a Sunday morning service, but I think too many churches say the Sunday morning service is the thing. Well, okay, then you're saying that the one thing you have during the week is the main thing about being a church. Culturally, we understand that that is a um, a symbol. The Sunday morning service people understand sort of the cultural artifact of a Sunday morning service, but there are all right. kinds of churches that. Meet on Wednesday, meet on Saturday night, uh, meet in different in a coffee shop instead of at a church. Like there are other ways to have a model of a church, depending on the context and community you're in. I think the other important thing, Brian, I mean, like you said, you don't the doctrine doesn't need to change. Orthodoxy doesn't need to change. I think the model's up for grabs. Yeah. But I also think you need to do if you're going to do that, it needs to meet a particular need in your community like Mm. i think it can be dangerous to go in a community be like oh i think it'd be cool to have a church at uh i don't know the the local ice cream store because i like ice cream well if the rest of your town isn't like 
at the ice cream store and passionate about the ice cream store, that's probably not going to work. You need to find the longings in your community. Do the exegesis of mm. your neighborhood. Find out what that community needs and plant the church, build the model around that. Absolutely. So, and I think it's good for churches to have conversations internally. What is up for grabs? Yeah. What are the stakes that we we will we will close our church before we move off mm-hmm, of this? Mm-hmm. We will close our church before we do this. But we are willing to contextualize here. Yeah. We're willing to try things yeah. here. We're willing to do. I think having those conversations and being on the same page, at least as a leadership team, if not the entire church, will really set you up to be innovative while at the same time being orthodox. Like you, That's what you want. You yep. want to be able to yep. to move and change while at the same time being anchored in, in the things that you will always stay anchored to. Yeah, listen to this. This is a little discouraging. This is a Methodist pastor named Bradley Hyde. He says, every year we close anywhere between two and five churches every single year he says i think people were already want to leave church wanting to leave church and covid gave them a great opportunity to say goodbye i'm not the only pastor Mm. who's noticed that but a lot of people have just not come back so that's the new reality that we're living in right now how is the church gonna uh, shift and change because of it'll be interesting to see if more spiritual communities like this rise Mm. up all right well coming up next brian i've been reading a book with my small group called a deeply formed life by rich viotas he mentions four things that Christians should examine about our own lives that I thought you and I could talk about. We'll do that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Brian, you said this next guest that I want to talk about. He's actually not on the show today, but we're going to talk about his book, The Deeply Formed Life. Rich Viotas, he's been on the show before, huh? He has when this book came out, and he was phenomenal. I I'd love was. to have Rich Viotas on again. And you know what? He's also a Mets fan, so I love Rich Viotas. Oh, he, I didn't know that, because he, he's a New York pastor. He's in Queens. Yeah, yeah. he's in Queens. And Look so, at that. You know, he, you know who he took over for? Yes. Pete Scazzaro, is yes, that right? Yeah, the emotionally the, healthy pastor, yeah. emotionally healthy life, all of that. Yes. Which are great books, by the way, if yep. you haven't ever read them. Okay, so my small group right now is reading The Deeply Formed Life uh, by Rich Viotas. And last night we discussed something that I thought was so um, interesting that I wanted us to have a conversation about it today. He talks about a theology of interior examination. He's quoting John Calvin here. He says, the knowledge of God and that of ourselves are connected Mm. without knowledge of self. There is no knowledge of God without knowledge of God. There is no knowledge of self. Ultimately, what he's calling Christians to do is to examine their inner interior emotional world. So he says sometimes Christians are really afraid to own their anger or they're afraid to go into their emotions because they're kind of afraid they'll get stuck in an abyss there. And he actually says that Christians use God as a way of mm. avoiding their interior lives. How? How do you think? Um, kind of Christian busyness, mm. right? Or like, uh, nope, I'm only I'm good all the time. I'm only going to praise Jesus. I'm never going to admit that I'm having a hard time. Kind of kind of that thing. Yeah, Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Christians historically have been very bad or historically. I mean, that we know yeah. of, have been very bad history. have been very bad at acknowledging feelings yeah yeah that's acknowledging not true struggle. biblically but that no, is true right. in our recent history acknowledging struggle and acknowledging any of that uh, that is certainly the case yeah okay so rich offers four ways that we should practice examination self-examination okay here's the first one i'd love to hear your thoughts on these examination before coming to the lord's table he's quoting paul here and says let a person examine himself then So to eat the drink and drink of the cup in this passage, Paul is highlighting the urgency of self-examination when coming to the table. 
He alarmingly notes that Christians have been coming to the Lord's Supper in a flippant way without mm. actual examination. I think that's really sobering because we do communion every weekend mm-hmm. at Renewal Church. And I think we do a good job of setting it up. But I don't know that we've paused like, OK, it's time to do some self-reflection. Yeah, we all know that verse. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we want to be careful not to take that verse too far. That's like, you must go out and call whoever. Yeah. But we go the way the other way and yeah. just go. All right. Yeah. Oh, it's communion time. Right. Where are we going to lunch after this? Like that kind of deal that, yeah, no, we are called to reflect and look inward and go, what's going on in my soul? Uh What's going on? And we don't like doing that. That's uncomfortable. But yeah, absolutely. Okay. Here's another one. Examination of faith. He's reading second Corinthians 13 or quoting second Corinthians 13, five here. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. He says that Paul is urging the church to pay careful attention to their lives and determine whether they are living consistently with the truth of God's abiding presence. This, I think, is a hard one because it requires some real thoughtfulness and some time, some time. Like, am I living a life consistently with the life I say I want to live in Jesus. Like you got to get real honest about yourself. Cause most of us are going to say, Nope, I'm not. Yeah. Or here are the areas I'm not at Th- least. This is the hard introspection. Cause you're going, yeah. where's their disobedience? Where's the call uh, to repentance? Yeah. Where am I off? It, you know, we'd all like to just be, Oh, I'm good. But the scripture calls us to uh, confess your sins, yeah. to repent and believe all of this stuff mm. that we are to uh, get rid of the sin that so easily entangles and run the race. Like right. getting rid of the sin is really difficult. Like to recognize what that sin is in my life and where I'm not believing uh, and where I'm off. Uh, yeah, I don't like doing that. That's no fun. No, Come on, and Rich. I don't want to get rid us? of Rich? it. Come like, on. I don't want to get rid of my little pet sins. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. It is. Oh, it's so hard. That's some real. That's some real difficult examination. All right, number three, examination of our ways. He's quoting Lamentations three forty here. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. This verse arises out of a particular moment of judgment and exile. Jeremiah laments that the people have lived mindlessly, caught up in their own ways. He calls us all who are God's people back to a careful examination of our ways. Is this different than the examination of faith we just talked about? So you and I, I think, jumped the gun. We may have. Because we I think have. where this takes it in is the action. Yeah. Is, it's yeah. not what am I not believing. Right. It is what am I doing. Right. And uh, I, you and I kind of got at that one already. So, I, yes, these okay, are so bad. Okay, so let's go back to this other one then. If we're examining our faith versus what we're doing, how we're living, what does that look like? Is it how much we believe or is it like... Do, the, I, actually, do I live as if, and not in action, but do I actually deep down in my soul believe? what I say I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Or am I putting on some sort of Christian like uh, show that right. says, oh, yeah, right. you know, praise Jesus. I believe all this. Eh, maybe not. Yep. OK, um, here's the last one. Number four, examination of our work in Galatians six, three through five. Paul explains if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let us each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each one will have to bear his own load. What do you think about that one? Yeah, that one is, t- man, he, why'd you read these today? I be- I know, it's kind of convicting, isn't it? Yeah, knowing your own load, like what you're called to carry, yeah. what you have to carry. Oh, yeah, how do you put that into practice, though? Uh, well, here's some, here's some examples that he gives. He actually thinks that we should read through the Psalms and kind of pray through them because David often reflects on these things, and so David's mm. prayers can become our prayers. He also quotes... Um, 
author Andreas Ebert and says this. Many people avoid the path of self-knowledge because they're afraid of being swallowed up in their own abyss. Listen to this. This is so great. But Christians have confidence that Christ has lived through all the abysses of human life and that he goes with us when we dare to engage in sincere confrontation with ourselves. Mm. Because God loves us unconditionally, along with our dark sides, we don't need to dodge ourselves. In the light of this love, the pain of self-knowledge can be at the same time the pain of healing. So how do we do this? I think we start by knowing who we are. We are loved by God unconditionally. So even as we begin testing our faith, testing our work, examining our life, Trust like we're doing it not from a place of judgment and despair, but from the love of God. And and we want to become more authentic people, more and more like Jesus. We want to. um, Yeah, I think we want to do self-examination so that we're ultimately better followers of Jesus Mm. and like more compassionate Christ-like people. That's what we're, that's the goal. That book yeah. is phenomenal, by the way. Yeah. Deeply Formed Life, right? Deeply Formed mm-hmm. Life by Rich Viotis. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it really does get you to go internally and say, yeah. do I do I really know what's going on in my soul? So yes, uh, couldn't um, encourage people enough to read that book. Yeah, good words for all of us from Pastor Rich Viotis. Okay, Brian, it's Friday. We get to do one of our favorite things when we return. We are doing a top five list Do we tell people yet? No, we'll wait. You come back. We're going to let you know. It's a very fun Christmas themed one. We'll do that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's Friday. We get to do one of our favorite things every Friday, and that is bring you a top five list. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. All right, Brian, in theme with Christmas, last Friday, our top five list was our top five favorite Christmas carols or Christmas songs. Today, we're doing our top five least favorite Christmas songs or the top five worst Christmas songs just the, that you exist. come on the radio They're and you're like, bad. oh, I can't do this. Yes. 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 So this is going to be a very, very fun one. Why a don't cynical you pick one. A, a cynical one, kind of a dark one, but I think it'll be entertaining. Why don't you uh, kick us off with your number five? Okay. There's going to be some crossover, I'm guessing, on this. Oh, definitely. Uh, Do you remember the song? Maybe it even gets on your list. It's a Christian song. Do you remember this song called Christmas Shoes? No. That sounds horrible, though. What is it? Aubrey, it is the worst. You don't know Christmas Shoes? I don't know Christmas Shoes. What is Christmas Shoes? Aubrey, it is a song sung in like the voice of a little boy whose mom is dying, and all he wants to get her is these Christmas shoes. No. But he can't afford them, and so someone else... And it's like, it's supposed to be inspirational, but like the part of the lyrics are like... My daddy said my mom. And you're like, why are you at the store buying Christmas <laughs> shoes right now? Oh, this is so sad. I don't know. I'm going to have to listen to Christmas right? shoes. Wow. If you John Acuff, John Acuff does a whole thing no. about Christmas shoes. Okay, no, I'm going to have to listen the, to Christmas shoes. Wow, that's so sad. Okay, I feel can like Can I just read you? It's by please. new song. Can yeah. I just read you the I very you beginning? To. I want you to. Hold on. Give, you give us number five. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you five, and I'm going to make a lot of people mad by this, although I will say it's becoming more and more popular not to like this song, so I don't think I'm totally like off off on my own here. But the song that makes me crazy, I'm going to tell you, it didn't always make me crazy for this reason, which is that it's a mansplainy song. But it used to make me crazy just because I didn't like it. It was overplayed. And like every Christian was like, 
oh, it's the most beautiful song I've ever heard. And I was like, that one? Really? Mary, did you know? Mm. I can't. It's like man's Mary, baby Christmas you know? to Mary. I love it. It's like, yo, no, she knew. Yeah, she knew. She knew. The angel <laughs> came and talked to her. She knew, fellas. But also, people are really into that song. And I kind of can't. Like, I'm not that. Sometimes Christians get really intense about things. And sometimes it's like too much for me. Like, I'm not that saved. I'm not as saved as you are regarding regarding Mary. I mean, it's a pretty know? new song, though. Yeah, yeah. All right, you ready? Yeah. Sir, I want to buy these shoes for my mama, please. It's Christmas Eve and these shoes are just her size. Could you hurry, sir? Daddy says there's not much time. You see, she's been sick for quite a while. I know these shoes would make her smile. And I want her to look beautiful if mama meets Jesus tonight. No, that's terrible. <laughs> So it was completely like they sat back and said, we want to make like the emotional song. Wow. Uh, and then yeah, you know, the guy it. gives they her the shoes. And like, sentimental. That is a sentimental it's song the right worst. there. Yeah. I need you after we're done recording. Yeah. Google okay. Christmas shoes wow. reactions. I've never these. heard that. OK, yeah, I'm really surprised that you never have. Yeah, never have. Number four for me. This is going to get me. Um, some people will be upset by yeah. this one. I don't like Jingle Bell Rock. Okay, Brian, Jingle Bell Rock is on my honorable mentions. I don't like Jingle Bell Rock just either. Sing it's Jingle just Bells. annoying. It's just annoying. Yeah, yeah. I get it. It was yeah. more fun yeah. when it was like your kid's concert in like yes. elementary and school they're, they're and they sung Jingle Bell Rock. Ringing Jingle Bells, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Okay, kind of. I have a couple that are in line with that. I'm going to go with uh, my number four is very, it, they, uh, these songs are so similar. Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. Well, I, I don't, don't like that, like song that either. one either. It just annoys me for the same. It's kind of like, okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. That one gets overplayed also. I'm going to be honest. That one gets overplayed. All right. Number three for me. I have no doubt this is going to be on your list. Okay. Uh, because it's very um, uh, abusive. Oh, I must said it's it's yeah, it's like you if you ever listen to the words of baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> oh, yeah. The date rape Christmas song. Date, I, <laughs> I said it's almost rapey, but I didn't want to go yeah, there. But. I, sorry, I went there on the radio. But yes, that song is so cringy. And here's awful. what I would encourage people, because it's actually like a catchy song. Yeah, baby, it is it's catchy. cold outside. It is. You ever seen Elf? That's the one where he's uh-huh, sitting in the bathroom, whatever. Uh-huh. But I want I want you to actually read the words listen to the and lyrics. listen to the lyrics yeah. of "Baby, It's Cold Outside," and you'll go, "Oh, that's not a nice message." No, it's not good. Especially, "Hey, what's in this drink?" That line alone is like, no. I think so. it's, it's actually entitled Bill Cosby's Christmas Special. <laughs> <laughs> too soon, too soon. <laughs> it's actually like it is a cute duet, especially. No, it's people. not a bad song. That's but the problem. Somebody needs to update the lyrics. I did see a funny Netflix Christmas comedy where they update. Updated lyrics and it was cute. I can't remember what it was exactly, but somebody needs to update and re-record it. All right. Um, number three. Okay, number three for me. I'm going to go with I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. I my honorable mention yeah, list. Yeah, it's just weird. I, it's just a weird song. Yeah. It's supposed to be cute, and I think it's just gross. If you're going with weird songs, we better see Grandma Get Run Over by a Ranger. Oh, that's, that's, coming up, that's coming up for me for sure. Uh, my number two is it's always a little too sultry, a little too Santa baby. Oh yeah, that one is a little. It's a little sultry for Christmas. Yeah, it's Christmas. Sure. What are we? What are we singing yeah, to Santa here? Yeah. The old guy. <laughs> <laughs> what are we sexualizing? Yeah, that's Santa true. Why are we sexualizing Santa? Okay, my number two is Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Yep, that's just so kitschy. Like kitschy, I can't handle it. That one's really. Bad. I mean, when you listen to the words of Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, it is kind of funny. Yeah, sure. Uh, it is kind of cute but um you know grandma getting run over in the parking lot it is a little odd 
Yeah, it's definitely okay. a little odd. A little dark, a little All dark. Right. My only honorable mention was uh, I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Okay, I had two honorable mentions. Jingle Bell Rock, as I said. This one might offend people. And it's not, I don't think it's cringy. I just think it's a little boring. Like, if I'm going to sing a bunch of different carols, this one is never on my list. That is, it came upon a midnight clear. Oh. It came upon a Like, it's just a little, it's just a little boring in my mind. Yes. Okay. okay. I can understand All right. that. I wonder if you have the same Jesus. number one. No, we don't. Because we don't? mine is a category, but I'm going to give you an example okay. of it. That, okay. that drives this entire category for me. Okay. I simply put it as this. Anything with kids. <laughs> like anything with like a kid's choir, kids' voices. The one you always hear on the radio is the John Lennon song, So This Is Christmas. So the war is over or whatever. Yeah. So this is Christmas. And it, yeah. at the end, it's, a, it's like just the kids' choir singing. And I know it's supposed to bring in me like Chris. Oh, the kids. And I'm like... <laughs> I feel this way in general. Yeah. Any song that, that employs the kids choir yeah. or the kids whatever, I don't like. But at Christmas, like I, okay. Yeah. So I'm going with my number one least favorite Christmas song is Anything with Kids. Okay. Okay. I I surprised I like you with it. that one. I yeah, bet. you did, but I like it. I would I'm gonna say mine is also a category of song. Oh. It is the category of like in the eighties we really wanted to feel good about ourselves this and the way we were Band-Aid. helping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think this is the most condescending and potentially racist Christmas song that exists. Do they know it's Christmas? Parentheses feed the world. It's so devastating. Like, and won't it snow in Africa? Do they even know it's Christmas time in Africa? It's so terrible. And like, it, everybody meant so well by so it. Like, I would, I they're would, like, we want to save the world. We're going to raise money. It is so like, it reeks of like colonialism. It's bad. It's I, bad. I, I would encourage people who may disagree with Aubrey to go Google the words. Go Google the words. So I will go. I will agree with you. Painful. I will agree with you that that was meant. With all of the best intentions and probably all raised a best, lot of money. It probably did. But I would just encourage you to read the words. <laughs> all right. Well, we want to know what your least favorite cringy Christmas songs are. You can let us know on social media at Common Good Talk on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Brian, coming up next, we have a devotional advent from Christianity Today to share with our listeners. We'll do that when we come back. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. We've decided in this Advent season, we want to encourage you. And so I want to share with you, Brian and I are both going to do this, an Advent reading from Christianity Today. If you're not following along at Christianity Today, they are actually doing daily Advent readings by different authors. This is by a guy named Jeremy Treat called A Light Has Dawned. And here's what it's about. Scripture uses the motif of darkness and light to describe the promised one. And Jesus identified himself as this prophesied light. In him, we experience salvation and spiritual illumination. But Jesus is not only the light for us as individuals. He is a light for all nations. Jesus is the light of the world. So we're mm. going to talk about that. Scripture reference is Isaiah 8, 21 through 9, 7. Yeah, let's just read it because these are, these are like we said, we want to send people out yeah. in courage. So yeah. we'll read, what's his name? Jeremy Treat. Jeremy Treat. We'll read his words here. He says, growing up in a small town in Alaska, I was well acquainted with darkness. In the depths of the winter, a mere few hours of sunlight each day would quickly give way to the long, unforgiving nights. And the effects of the darkness went beyond the inconvenience of shoveling the driveway under artificial light. The lack of light brought about a lack of hope. 
The long winters of Alaska produce isolation, depression, and sometimes despair. In the darkness, there is no vision, no direction, and no purpose. Isaiah 8 tells of a time when Israel was well acquainted with darkness. Under the threat of invasion by an international superpower, Assyria, God's people were in a place of fear and dread. Rather than turning to God as their hope, they doubled down on their fear by embracing conspiracies and consulting with occultic mediums, which led them only deeper into utter darkness. And yet, amid this distress, the prophet Isaiah proclaims that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Despite their own attempts to claw their way out of the darkness, a light has dawned upon them. What is this light? Who could bring hope amid utter darkness? Isaiah declares, for to us a child is born. While a child is certainly no match for the Assyrian military, this child is different. This son will grow up to be a king who will rule with righteousness and justice. Though he will reign from David's throne, his kingdom will extend to the ends of the earth and will be established for all of eternity. Through this anointed child, not only will the light shine amid the darkness, but the light will overcome it. The promise given by Isaiah was ultimately fulfilled hundreds of years later when a child, a son, was born under the threat of another international superpower. Superpower. Jesus is the light of the world. And while our world still remains in utter gloom, the light of the gospel shines bright amid the darkness. For this king reigns with grace and rules with love. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. The winters in Alaska were harsh, but I have not told you about the summers. At the height of summer in Alaska, there is daylight 24 hours a day. No darkness, all light, so much joy. When Christ returns, he will make all things new. And the book of Revelation tells us that in the new creation, there will be no need for the sun, for the glory of God will shine brighter Mm. than a thousand suns. We will walk in the light and experience the pure joy of Christ's kingdom forevermore. Amen. Beautiful word from Jeremy Treat over at Christianity Today. Brian, why do you think it matters that we focus on the light during this season? Mm, That's a great question. I think, uh, A, Jesus is described as the light coming into darkness, right? That's biblical imagery. Uh, But also, I think we all understand the lack of hope being synonymous with darkness. And I think, um, so it's not really about light and darkness, but it's about what it signifies. And that is, apart from Christ, we have no hope. Apart from Christ, there is death and judgment, sadness and despair, Uh, So I think it's what darkness represents and therefore what light represents. Light represents um, those things being done away with. Light always defeats darkness Mm -hmm. and we can celebrate who Jesus is and what he has done. So for the people out there who are feeling hopeless, for the people out there who are feeling despair, uh, we will never be the types of people to be like, ah, stop that. Yeah. Or no, right, you, you, right. you've got a lot of good in your life. To mm. No, what we will do is point you to Jesus yeah. and say, he's the light. He's where we find, uh, where we find hope in the midst of hopelessness, um, peace in the midst of yeah. despair. And, and that's why I think it's important to even unpack that imagery that the Bible makes so clear. I think the other thing that's so fascinating about this is that, you know, uh, one of God's promises for Israel was that they would be a light to the nations, Mm -hmm. but because they failed because of their sin and their idolatry, ultimately Jesus became the light to the nations, to the whole world that Israel never could. And so the other hope I think is, is the light in the darkness that when we can't be that in the way that we think we ought to be, or when we kind of fail 
you know, living for Jesus in our world today, we can trust that like we still have a perfect savior who is the light in the darkness. And even in our mistakes, even in our failures, we can point people to him and his hope and his goodness. Mm. And so I, I think it's also like this light in the darkness is also a redemption. Like where we failed, Jesus showed up as light where we were supposed to be light to the nations and we weren't. Jesus became that for all of us. And so this is good news on so many levels. Can we talk about life in Alaska, though? (laughs) Side note. Yeah, it is like. On steroids, what we de- what we decry yeah. here in Illinois, right? Like you and I were talking earlier about it being gray, right? And it gets dark at like you know four thirty, four forty five, and this is the hard time of year to live in Illinois. But mm-hmm. you know, there's the April, May, June where it's gorgeous right. and it's beautiful right. and it's bright outside for longer, and the sky is crisp. Now make that twenty four hours a day and two hours a day. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you talk about seasonal affect disorder or whatever else. Uh, can you imagine that darkness? I don't know. I can't. I don't know I, how people do it. I don't know why people choose to do it. I don't. I, I have no idea. I can't imagine that darkness. And then I also can't imagine that 24 hours of a day of daylight, no darkness at all. I think your your system must be thrown off. Do we think there really will be interesting. Uh, there'll be no actual. I think I think they're right. Do you think there'll be actual no darkness in heaven? Uh, do you think there'll be no nighttime? Some I, people are night owls. Some people love yeah, the night. No, but, I, I don't know. I I my guess it. I, I don't know. I don't want to speak to the book of Revelation. My guess is that's probably more like um, metaphorical language yeah. about how bright the light of Jesus will be, that there's no need for a sun, not that there'll be no moon. Because I think the moon and stars are God's good creation. Yeah. and They're beautiful. And you're right. Some people do thrive at night, but it won't be the darkness like we think of yes. darkness, which is depressing removing joy, absence of light. If anything, it will be a redeemed, not isolated, not despairing darkness, but a darkness of, of like the beauty, yeah. I think, of the stars and, and the moon will probably shine brighter than we could imagine. And the answer is going to be in Christ. We're all going to find out someday. And we'll be fine. We're going to be We're satisfied. Gonna, we are going to so find out. It's all going to be, be good. good. That's yeah. great. That's a good word, though, from Jeremy Treat uh, as to why there is hope in the midst of darkness, why there is hope at this Christmas season that the Bible says is good news yeah, of great joy right. for all people. And we pray that you know that good news of great joy deeply. Yeah. If you're hurting this Advent season and perhaps you've just been praying for a little bit more light in your life, Brian and I pray that you experience that through Jesus, through his presence this Advent season. Well, Brian and I will be back again on Monday uh, from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.